0: well then good evening everybody welcome to another episode of coffee with friends where we discuss various topics and tonight we're going to be talking about whether people of the opposite gender can be friends without it becoming sexual but before we begin i'd like to give you a content warning this live stream may discuss trauma of all sorts to include all types of abuse viewers and listeners may find it unsettling and triggering The guests on our live streams reflect a diverse set of values, morals, and ethics that may not reflect the morals, values, and ethics of the misfit Amish. If this live stream causes you distress, please seek support from your trusted folks and qualified mental health professionals as needed. You may also cease listening until you're able to listen again. With that being said, I'd like to welcome Jessica, Seth, and James. Hi, good evening. How y'all doing? Hi. We lost him. That was quick. Seth said
1: yeah. bye.
2: We have a dropout.
0: <laughs> okay. Man, we only had like two seconds to talk smack.
2: <laughs> Is that how that was
0: gonna work? Yeah, we were yeah. We we're gonna take advantage of the opportunity, right? Like yeah, the so, so we'll log
2: back off so we can talk smack.
0: <laughs> Is everybody prepared with your coffee?
2: Uh, sure.
0: Ah, okay. So we're all ready for this, right? I got it's water. It's one of
2: the ingredients of coffee, at least.
0: Yeah? Okay. I just hey, feel Dan. like hey, it's Judge. lacking. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. I see Ryan is listening. Hi. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Judge. And hi, Dan. Welcome, everybody. So, Jessica, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in um. 30 seconds? <laughs>
1: In thirty seconds, so I left a conservative Mennonite background, and um, I'm a special ed teacher now. Still live very close to the area that I left. Um, yeah.
0: Well, I'm really glad you're here, and I'm glad you could join us tonight. What about you, James? Thirty seconds or less. Who are you?
2: Who am I? Well, I am. I'm James. I'm an ex jehovah witness and an activist as you see on my hat it's a youtube channel i run every week to try to bring awareness about cults and other religions around the world as far as the crazy crap that goes on with them
0: thank you james and are you a winner
2: oops every damn day
0: (laughs) i had to go there (laughs) and last but not least hi seth in 30 seconds or less
3: who are you Hello, my name is Seth Schilwalter. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and therapist, and I'm also the author of Finally Free, It's Surrendered Authenticity. I'm from a Southern Baptist tradition um, and deconstructed, and I'm a survivor of gay conversion therapy.
0: So, this is going to be fantastic, don't y'all think? We're going to talk about... We're gonna talk about this, so like I'm, I'm gonna tell y'all why we're talking about this. I blame James. This is all James' fault.
2: You came up with the idea here. (laughs) It was really your idea. I just went along with it. Oh, because I thought it was a good one, though. So see, but
0: here's the thing: is like some of us are taught that men and women can't be friends unless there's sexual connotations to it, and so. I would like to talk about, like, where does that idea come from? So if y'all want to go around and tell me where you think the idea comes from, that would be great. You're going to go ahead, Jessica.
1: Where does the idea come from? I, I think a lot of it comes out of viewing people as objects or something to be feared. I think that's part of it.
0: Where do you okay, so if you're you're saying if you view people as objects, that's part of it. But like where do you learn that? Why would you look at people as objects?
1: If I speak from personal experience, it came from being taught from a child up. You know? Yeah. You're taught okay. from a child up that like The opposite sex is dangerous. You could potentially cause yourself or them to stumble and things like that. I think Uh, you don't.
0: Are you trying to say you didn't want to be a stumbling block? (laughs) Where does that come from? I mean, I have heard
3: that before.
0: But where did you learn that?
3: I wonder.
1: I'm going to let somebody else talk.
0: Oh, Jessica feeling on the spot. Okay. Well, we can go at I'll
2: jump in. How about that? So I feel it came for me personally from the religion I was raised in. And, you know, that's one of the biggest issues with religion is the impositions they put on everybody's life. And I was always taught you can't be friends with somebody of the opposite sex without sex happening in that relationship and so you always have that stigmatism of that in your head growing up and when you're born and raised into a religion that does that you're gonna think about that when you're alone with somebody else it's just gonna happen because they tell you not they constantly tell you how bad it is not to do it and that's all you think about whenever you get in those situations Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so that's all you think about but like so i think like what jessica was getting at is like you didn't want to be a stumbling block so like for me i i personally was taught how to walk how to talk make myself small don't sway your hips so much don't um talk to men and boys too much like don't I'm looking around because I have a little booklet that I have here that I could read from that has some very interesting ways in which you know we shouldn't climb on ladders in front of boys or men lest we entice them to lust after us. And even if you never knew it, you're still enticing them to lust after us. Like we're the fault. Like it's automatically our job to not only monitor us, but also control how men and boys perceive us. And then it's interesting how like James is saying, well, everything is always about sex. Like, everything is always about sex. It's like you can't have a conversation without sex. Which you got, Seth? Okay. So. Here we go. Here, yeah. <laughs> here we go. It's well, going to be good.
3: Well, so the first thing that comes to mind is purity culture. I mean, I don't know if you guys know, but uh, there was a book that was written that was very influential in Christian circles called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, That book was extremely damaging and kind of laid out this entire premise that we needed to be separate. Um, and that was really stemming from this entire indoctrination that a lot of us experienced in any type of high control religion that essentially operated based upon power and control. And and really where this stems from is this lack of trust and lack of personal autonomy in individuals. And so what we see over a period of time, and what we see within Uh, specific religion, uh, religious uh, affiliations and doctrines and communities is that there is this level of needing to control um, people because there's a lack of trust um, in people. And therefore, we were literally trained that women um, have to essentially um, operate in such a way that they uh, prevent men from lusting after them, while as men just had to watch
0: themselves. As Dan D says, don't ever be alone with the opposite sex, but why are you always hanging out with your own sex? Are you gay?
2: Well, in some instances, that people are.
0: Some of us are gay, Dan. Hi. Hello. I feel so personally attacked by this comment.
3: Right I do I a little bit too.
0: <laughs> it's okay. We love you, Dan. We love you. It's great. But no,
2: he's Just, right though, because that's that is the kind of uh tropes they use on you. It, it especially it's the rhetoric. Not... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it's like it's like a almost like a personal attack. And that's what it really is. You know, or if you, even if you are straight, what are you gay? Kind of that's how it's always been. And you know, you, you get defensive about it and you're like, Oh no, no, I, I ain't gay. You know, it's just like, then you're on the defensive and everybody's like getting on you. Okay. So why are you doing this then? You can never please these people that do this to you ever because There's always going to be something they're going to use to attack you with.
0: Because the goalpost is ever moving. Is that what you're getting at? The goalpost is ever moving. It's never quite enough. Or you're always just a little bit too much. I mean, I know I am a lot, but if you need less, please go find less. It's great for you. And maybe that's what you need. But also, like, so when when you're like this closeted gay kid inside of an environment like that how does that affect your ability to build relationships or even if you're like cuz cuz when you're when you're sitting there and you're talking about this this whole idea of like if you're hanging out with your same gender folks then now are you gay So then at that, at that point, I have to ask, like, how did your church talk about gay people? Because it's almost like being gay was used as a very negative thing.
2: Hmm. Oh, gay people in my community, in my former church was such a stigmatism. I mean, we literally, so there was this one guy I knew in the neighboring congregation and he was obviously gay. And they, and I, when I say they, I mean like the elders in the congregation basically did like a, their version of a gay conversion with this guy. Cause I remember being told how they would Try to train him how to walk like a man and talk like a man and, you know, be more manly and masculine and you know, set the smile. And is that part of what, I don't know what gay conversion therapy does at all. Is that along the same lines of that?
3: It, well, gay conversion therapy really varies greatly. Uh, there is no core modality for this type of therapy. Uh, however, it's not too surprising. Uh, and so I just chuckled because like, I didn't have like them teaching me how to walk and talk, but I definitely had them desensitizing me to the sights, sounds, smells, and scenes of the gay community. Um, and then trying to desensitize me and depro— I mean, reprogramming. Me. So, you know, it, it really depends upon where you land, um, in regards to what they're going to do, but it, yeah, I mean, that's not too surprising.
2: Yeah. And so anyways, they eventually got him to marry. He he eventually got to the point where he married a woman. But I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I, I could be wrong. And if I am, I apologize. But I think the woman that he married must have gone through something similar too, because she looked like she was a butch in a relationship. And it was like the most masculine woman he was able to find to marry, to balance him off, to be acceptable in that community. Now, like I said, I could be wrong. I'm not trying to be, you know, judgmental or anything of him. But, you know, being in that religion, it's very hard to please the leaders, especially if you are gay or anything like that.
1: It sounds like there wasn't really space for him.
2: No, not at all.
1: As he was.
2: Definitely not.
0: He was supposed to not exist. He was supposed to comply with the on demands placed upon him. But then how does that affect the ability to have meaningful relationships?
1: I know for myself, I was terrified to have a relationship with pretty much anybody, but particularly the opposite sex, because you always had that fear of like, oh, maybe your facial expression is wrong. Maybe you're walking wrong. Maybe you said the wrong thing. It's just a lot of anxiety. And I know personally we were kind of told to be shame faced all the time. You know, you see a man, you look down, you put your eyes down. You can't have a relationship if that's how you're viewing the other person. It's really objectifying, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you think that that objectification gets in the way of creating meaningful relationships with people? How so? 100%.
1: You can't have an an equal and fair relationship with someone if you're viewing the other person as an object.
0: Do you got more to say about that?
1: <laughs> like, like, I... Say <laughs> <I said>, what? <laughs> well, it's the way you sip have... the coffee when you said it. Um
2: we actually talked about this a little bit earlier when you did your TikTok live this morning. And we mentioned how when you're objectifying somebody, you're not seeing them for who they are, you're seeing them for what they are. And when you're doing that and trying to have conversations with that person, you're not trying to really learn about who they are. You have that object in your mind of what this is supposed to be and It's going to put a a strain on any kind of normal relationship with that person.
0: Does it allow you to have the space to hear that person when they tell you who they are, what they need in life? Or, you know, if you're having an open dialogue with your partner or with somebody that is your friend, does it allow you to actually listen to hear what they're telling you? Or is it getting in the way of you being able to hear because you're constantly telling yourself, like, don't do this or don't do that. Or hyper fixated and hyper focusing on whether or not this is going to be a sexual thing. Could it? What, Seth?
3: Well, it's complicated for me because, you know, I mean, I'm not straight, so... I mean, are we talking about the context of heterosexual relationships? But I mean, yes, for sure. I mean, if, if, if an individual is trying to live um, according to their belief system and they're trying to do it in diligence, um, absolutely, it can create obstacles because they're less concerned about the individual and they're more concerned about following the rules And adhering to some type of moral code. And not falling outside the lines.
0: So I want to point out. Carrie Ann has a comment that says. That enters the parenting world too. I'm not exactly sure where specifically we were. But I think that um, even when it comes to like. I've read books and literature. That literally has people talking about things like. Um, it's so gross. Here, let me compose myself. A four-year-old child sitting on her father's lap is normal for him to experience sexual attraction to that four-year-old child. And she's enticing her father to lust after her. And I think that's where, like, that sexualization of every relationship, every connection between humans is so bad because it enters into every aspect of your life. Even if you don't realize it, even if it's subconscious, it's entering into every aspect of your life. And I'm sorry, but as a parent, I've never experienced sexual attraction to my own child. That's like,
1: hmm
0: disgusting but i think it also gets in the way of like parents being able to build meaningful relationships so if we go back to where we started at can can opposite gender folks or same gender folks can p- people have friendships without it becoming sexual anybody the answer is yes Okay, so then how, um, what are those friendships based in? What are the foundations of those kinds of relationships?
2: Well, I, I could tell you the foundation of the friendship you and I have and it's we're both ex cult members and we've we've built a friendship off of that starting there, but we've also, learned more about each other and learned how you know we when we had conversations, we actually asked each other questions about what life was like for you when you were Amish. You asked me what it was like a Jehovah's Witness. And we listen to each other in those conversations and we don't just assume based off the stereotypes that we've heard from everywhere else.
0: And if I may, I'd also like to add to that. So each one of these people on here, I would consider a friend. I've known them for a very length of time, but basically I would consider each one of these people a friend. And what James is saying, like, yes, we connected on that. We connected on shared experiences. But here's another thing is like, I know that James has three litters of dogs, (laughs) right now, puppies, three letters of puppies in his house right now. We talk about various things. We hear each other and we have that shared respect for each other. And I also have to, i have this trust in James that he's not going to turn around and all of a sudden one day I'm going to get a super creepy inbox message that is like, you know what? I just, I really am in love with you and I just...
3: No, I want to go there. I think I'm no. going to...
2: I just, I just send you the creepy memes.
0: <laughs> okay, but dark humor memes are not the same. Dark humor memes are not the same. Okay, that's that, not even that's,
2: close to the same. That's I am where talking our about our entire conversation today started. I sent you a meme, and now it's alive on YouTube. I don't know how this <laughs> happened.
0: <laughs> Look, we have great ma- minds here, and and we know what works for us. And sometimes we need to have conversations publicly and record them. So I'm really grateful all of you agreed to do this on such short notice. Thank you. Like, I think it's an important conversation to have. But honestly, the amount of men who send me unsolicited messages, like if I talk to them, and I treat them like a human being, they crawl in my inbox with this I love you. I feel this connection to you. I am so you're so beautiful, and it's really, really gross. Mm-hmm. I thought we were friends, and now I'm just a sexual object. Hi, Seth. Can I help you? Okay. Go ahead.
3: I'm gonna keep it in.
0: Go ahead. I know you want to go there.
3: No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to. Keep going. We're all
0: friends here. We're all friends here. Let's go.
3: so that doesn't happen to everyone
0: i didn't say it did okay
3: it happens to a certain few and why does it happen
0: because men have been told that they're not men if they have emotions men have been taught that they're not men if they cry men have been taught that they're they're incapable of anything beyond having sexual relationships with anybody they perceive as a woman.
3: Okay, so you're, so what I'm saying is that in your inbox specifically, I'm talking about you. Um, and Why you are know, you talking
0: about me? Yeah, you
3: know, that's what I, that's what I was gonna say. You know where I you know where I'm gonna go, right?
0: Where are you gonna go?
3: Well you are at a position where you are receiving a certain level of of, um, feedback that a lot of us don't receive. And so at that level, you're gonna get that feedback and it sucks and it's horrible. And I think what happens at that level is that you receive a lot of the ugliness that is happening within our culture and it sucks. And I'm so sorry that you have to go through this and that you have to get those messages because it's infuriating
0: a little bit, but it also, that's, that's all I
3: was trying to say.
0: I think it's also indicative of how, you know, we, as a society, collectively, we need to understand what we teach our children matters. And how we teach our children to navigate the world and how we teach our children to build relationships and what we teach our children about emotional intelligence matters it's like carrie says like a husband thinking they own the wife parents think they own the children i didn't intend it in a sexual manner no but unfortunately when you're told that holy relationships and in marriage and your idea of a relationship doesn't really have space for you to have meaningful connections as friends, what does that subconsciously teach you to do? So I just want people to have a little bit more attention that they pay to what they're doing. Why am I doing this? A little bit more attention. Is it okay for you to have friendships with people that are of the same or the opposite gender that do not revolve around sex but how do we get there as a society collectively seth like i'm i'm asking this question i'm going there
3: how do we get there collectively as a society well, well we get there collectively as a society by the results i read that comment we we get there as a result of society by the digs de, you can take it down by the destigmatization um of we, we look at it through it essentially like taking steps towards reducing the stigma that is currently at play um, within our culture and society that essentially shames people for their sexuality and shames people for sexual actions. You know, And, and this is really interesting. Um, even if we compare it culturally speaking, I think that there's something big to be said about this looking at a cultural context for example, like, let's look at what's happening in the U.S. versus other countries. Um, for example, sexual expression and things like that are very much more open um, in other countries. And I'm, I'm really curious to see. I don't know. Um, but I am really curious to see, do these trends um, continue to float in those other countries? Or is this a specific American phenomenon? And is it because we restrict so much... Um, of you know, sexuality and what that means, and then also, as part of that, um, are we also looking at you know? Oh crap! I'm going to lose what I was saying. But just like shame, there's so much shame around sexual actions in our culture, and there isn't in other cultures. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that plays a big role. In I'm going to say
0: this: I lived in a country. And have been in places where people viewed nudity as just a human state, Mm -hmm. nudity in public places. And there was a whole different environment around the way that sex was viewed, approached, and taught. And I am grateful for that experience. I think it does affect how you teach your children when you experience something like that versus American culture. Um, but I want to go back to Lynn's, Linda Joyce's comment, and part of the reason I want to go back there is like um, she said. I have to say though that you don't have to be at that level. I received the same messages a lot. Um, I literally know people who have had, and and this is particularly a phenomenon for for women and AFAB people they experience this repetitively. And I think it happens much more to people when they are coming from plain backgrounds. And here's why. It's because people fetishize us. Mm -hmm. They literally fetishize us. And that is a repeat phenomenon that keeps happening. And that's also part of it. It's like they look at us And they think that is the display of a good, godly woman. That is a submissive woman. That is a virtuous woman. That is the kind of woman that I want. And then they act accordingly. They feel like it is their God-given right to crawl into our inboxes like that. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, if you do anything with these types of men that involves you spending time with them what happens is they literally conflate feeling connection with somebody as being romantically in love with somebody they're not romantically in love with me I promise you they're not thank you but then when we go back to how we destigmatize everything i think part of it is absolutely right we have to destigmatize and we have to remove the shame the other part is is we have to allow the space for people to have have emotions and we have to consider that maybe what we're being taught and what we were taught even if we don't recognize it, it can still come out of us subconsciously in the ways we treat other people. And even if we don't understand it, if somebody is telling us that we are objectifying them, maybe it's time to go examine that. And I have a handy dandy little thing to show everybody. Do we want to talk about that? Have y'all ever seen this before? No. Now?
2: No, I, I haven't seen it. Can you,
0: Can you read make it? it a little bit bigger? Let me see. How's this?
2: That's better. Thank you.
0: So it says when painful thoughts and feelings start showing up in our lives, there are many ways we try to avoid or get rid of them. Distraction, opting out, thinking strategies, and substances.
1: Have you ever heard of this, Jessica? Not specifically this, no.
0: do you Do you all think this could be helpful?
2: Maybe the substances part.
0: <laughs> really. <laughs> I mean, it's not gonna hurt. We're being serious here. This is for real
2: but that that's what struck me though when i read that like the sh- using strategies but yet on the list of that the acronym there is substances like i mean i i get that there are um prescriptions that help when you have issues you know mentally psychologically and whatnot but like that's not always finding what works for you is not always easy mm-hmm and i'm not going to in any way endorse anything illegal here because that's not the route to go either but it, it's just that's just what stuck out to me because that's what a lot of people seem to want to go to first thing is that right there instead of look, looking for other strategies to cope with it
0: well i mean unfortunately often people who have been taught some of these harmful beliefs They really struggle in feeling connected to other people and they don't know how to connect to other people and so sometimes they just feel like they just want like something to make it all go away
1: mm-hmm.
0: and sometimes that is where people turn to substances Sometimes people have mental health conditions that can benefit from using prescribed medications as prescribed, okay? They can benefit from healthcare, like mental healthcare too. Um, but also having the tools to examine our own beliefs is something that can help us sit with the uncomfortableness. I'm going to give you all an example. I was talking about suicide one day with somebody. And I said the person committed suicide. And I was corrected. I was told and and that, that that's not how we talk about it. What we really should be saying is we should be saying died by suicide. Hmm. for me that's not something I was aware of but now that I am made aware of it I'm going to do my best to to honor that because if it humanizes that person more and it also um, destigmatizes some of the things that go on the stigmatization around mental health then that's important The same thing can apply to anything like when people are telling you like, hey, like, you know, you're you're making me really uncomfortable because right now you're doing this thing that we call like love bombing or like you're you're waxing and weaning or whatever. And I feel like this is where you're going with this and it's really uncomfortable. Maybe you can just sit with it and examine it. And even if you don't understand it, you can at least respect that person. Because, I mean, I can tell you that with every single one of these people, I've literally sat there and been like, I don't quite understand this, but I'm going to respect you. What do y'all think?
1: I think that's a healthy part of any relationship. There's always going to be things that you don't maybe identify with or understand. But having space and respecting that person, I think that's healthy. Like equal respect and honor, even if you don't understand it.
2: That's where I think a lot of people lack anymore is trying to understand others, trying to have that, you know, respect for them enough to. Understand where they're coming from and why they're coming from that position. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think, Seth? You're just sitting there.
3: You just showed dots, so I'm just on. I'm just on a roll. Um, no, I, I would say one of the core components is uh, of of any relationship or friendship is equality, and part of that equality component. Uh, that foundational core uh, element of friendship or uh, relationship—it's um, essentially being able to see the other side and having equality in that relationship. And I think that what we need to be striving for is understanding, as uh, James clearly stated. So, um, and also, if we go into relationships thinking that we know everything, uh, how does that lead to the expansion of r-
2: friendship? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also think, too, you know, uh, like, of course, I was raised in Jehovah's Witness, and I I know it's prevalent in Yamish and even your background, too, Seth. You know, we were always told that, you know, the male, the husband is the head of this household, and there's that dominance factor that he's supposed to have over his wife, over his children, and there's such an imbalance in those relationships Mm -hmm. because everybody in the household is supposed to cater to the whims of that man. And I, and I've seen this in live action, especially with my father-in-law's household, his wife and his kids were always on edge about anything that he would get upset about or want done. And, you know, it was just a total, whenever I was there, I felt so uncomfortable. I never had that attitude even when i was in the religion i always felt that my wife was my equal not somebody that i need to lord over and you know be a domineering force towards but those attitudes are still prevalent in the religions and breaking free of that you know i I found it easy to break free because i never thought of thought of my wife that way but for others when they're caught up in that they can't break free of that to see others for who they are. They still have that attitude. Well, I'm the male. I have to, you know, last say I've got this dominance, even in situations where they're not at home and don't have any real say in anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: Did you experience that, Jessica? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, in a thousand ways. But I was specifically thinking tonight about the way that we couldn't even go and talk to another man in the church. We had to talk through either our brothers or our father.
0: See, like, I want to point this out, though. It's like once I once I went with the young folks so and even before I went with the young folks, if we were just informally at the house, then we could talk to other men somewhat, but we were only supposed to talk certain ways and mm-hmm. walk certain ways and all of that. But like yes, the father was the head of the household. And and that whole thing that James was talking about, that existed in many homes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh But I always find it interesting how, like, there's, there's this difference between like the amount of control that like Jessica experienced versus like what I experienced, but I was also Old Order Amish. So so it's, it's interesting because it was like a different kind of control, but it was still control. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I got a question for you, Jessica, when you say, you had to speak through your brother or your father. What did that exactly mean?
1: If we had any concerns, if we had ideas about something, um, even something as simple as I was in charge of like gift baskets for people that were sick in the church. And if I had any questions, if I had any questions about where the money was coming from, I had to go to my dad or my brother and have them go to the man in the church and relay the concern and then bring it back to me through my father. I could never go and speak to a man.
0: No, no. Like, here's the thing. Like, we didn't have, like, necessarily, we would be allowed our, our allowance. Like, if we were supposed to go to the store to buy something, we were given this amount of money and we had to account for every, like, dime, right? but in the same token if we made a scrapbook page for somebody um we would make the scrapbook page and put it together
1: you didn't have if we to were have making
0: if we had the things, then what do we need what
1: i mean to like make to make a gift for somebody like a missionary family or whatever we
0: never had missionary families
1: oh that's right
0: what are you talking about? No, if somebody had an adverse incident, like, let's just say they had a farm accident or there was a buggy accident or something, people would be, people would bring cards, they would do all of these things. Like, no, it wasn't a, like, you had to go, like, get, like, all this whatever, whatever. If they did, like, a bake sale or something, then it was perhaps organized like that.
1: Hmm.
0: But, like, to, to do, like, basic things, like, just you know, bring over a casserole or take over a casserole. Like that was like, you, you just did it.
1: it. That kind of thing would have been brought up at the brothers meetings and it had to have approval.
3: The brothers meetings.
1: There were, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of the men came together on a Wednesday night and the women were not permitted to attend. Um, and they would talk about business. You know, the length of women's dresses and coverings and the,
2: the important stuff.
1: stuff. <laughs> the important <laughs> stuff. The important yeah, the stuff. women were never involved. See, but like
0: if we organized a bake sale, like they would just organize like these women would do this, the women would organize it.
1: Hmm.
0: Like I'm I'm so confused. Anyways um but the other thing is is like linda's talking in the comments about you couldn't be too loud around boys yeah that's that's mm-hmm. right that's right if you went to the volleyball game let's talk about segregation so in <laughs> our churches <laughs> in our churches
1: <laughs> i'm picturing it.
0: first off the settlements that i lived in i think there was maybe one of them that i loved, volleyball games second off i dated somebody in another settlement and they were allowed to play volleyball there okay and the ways we got in trouble for playing volleyball y'all it was wild it was wild it was just the i can't even i can't even mm-hmm. describe it
3: were they really called brothers meetings yes <laughs> You're still going there. <laughs> there really? <were> <laughs> brothers meetings.
1: Seth, they're the they brothers and sisters. Seth,
0: inside of the type of Mennonite church that she was in, they had Wednesday evening meetings, the brother me- brothers meetings. They would handle any and all business.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Especially business like policing women's dress.
1: Coffee
0: and gossip. All the important stuff. But I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just,
3: they could have come up with a more original name,
2: like the brothers' meetings. But
0: just- they were brothers in Christ. Let's not judge our Mennonite neighbors here. So,
2: d- did you all call each other brothers and sisters within your communities? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, Jehovah's Witnesses did that too. We were brothers and sisters.
1: We couldn't use Mr. and Mrs. That just was, that was too worldly. Oh, yeah. We, we, okay.
2: Whenever we were at our meetings or church services and Joe Witness, it would be, oh, hi, brother so-and-so, hi, sister so-and-so. It was mm-hmm. always that, never Mr. or Mrs., just, just like you said.
1: It was such a transition for me moving into education after leaving the community because everyone is Mr., Miss. It was so weird for me.
0: Are you okay, Seth? You look like you're shell shocked over this whole no, brothers' I'm, meeting
1: thing. I just, just, glitching. It,
0: <laughs> I
3: just it sounds it's so cultish. Yep. Um,
0: <laughs> Nailed it. We're not saying it's a cult.
3: I know, I'm not saying it's a cult. Um, I'm just saying brothers' it's, meetings sounds very, it's in that vein. And there was
1: never much information about what exactly happened, and they weren't supposed to come home and talk about it.
3: Which that sounds like, you know, uh, oh, what's the other one? Um, they're not, it's not a religious thing, but they have secret meetings behind closed doors. Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: There's uh, lots of places that have that, like uh, the Masons.
3: That's it. That's the first thing that came to mind.
1: Oh, I don't know a lot about that.
3: They got uh, secret
1: things.
0: Are y'all ready? What's up? I just y'all like y'all talking about what y'all called each other reminded me of something. Like, here's the thing is like we would we would go around and we would say, like, for example, like let's just say hypothetically, and I know this will never happen because we're all a little gay. Anyways, but let's say Seth and Jessica were married. We would call Jessica Seth Jessica.
2: Mm-hmm. hmm What? <laughs>
3: <Huh>? <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, no listen, I'm from a Southern Baptist church that put me through gay conversion therapy, and I thought I had it pretty bad, but by golly, I don't know about that now.
0: I didn't say it was bad. I just said that. Okay, so to me, like if you were a child, like let's say James was my father, it would be James Mary.
2: I'm just gonna drink. Mm-hmm. That.
3: <laughs> <laughs> i might need to run away and get another cup. You might be at that point.
0: But do that you think? You
1: think of something though.
0: But hmm? do you think? Go ahead. Go ahead, Jessica.
1: Do you know the shock when I left and I saw that people would send wedding invitations with the woman's name first? Oh. <laughs> I was I? mind blown. I was like, what is this? You can do that? <laughs> <laughs> I was shook.
3: Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Okay. Can I'm sorry, Seth. Shooketh?
1: I kind of
0: broke you. <laughs> yeah, I was shook at the two.
3: No, I was what. Do, do, do you see the comments?
0: Mm-hmm. I this so, is the
3: biggest compliment I've ever received. The, the second to last comment. Do you see that?
0: Are you talking about this? So you're yes. gay or not? That I'm means to that follow. I'm
3: passing a straight. <laughs> that's the biggest. <laughs> I don't
0: think they're asking about me. I don't think that's a question.
3: No, but, I think they're talking about me.
0: Um, I just. <laughs> I just I
2: just want to so, know
0: like do y'all think that the way we talk about people like we call people our brothers and we have this whole idea um that that like people um you know we call our daughters by their or, or children by their father's name and then once they get married like the sons they they now have their own name and their wife is attached to it do you think that that does something to the way people think about each other and could it affect their relationships don't all jump at once i just have questions i don't know what that means couldn't hear you say it again do you think that when you sit there and children are called like james mary and then or like james seth for example um because you always have to attach the father's name to the child but then when boys grow up and they get married then they are attached to their their own pillar of the name Um, they have like for example james would get married to jessica again would never happen james is already happily married anyways <laughs> um, it would be james jessica like do you think that affects how people um, view relationships can it affect how they view relationships because another thing is is like our we weren't allowed to have middle names and our middle initial was supposed to be the first letter of our father's first name So like our names should always be attached to our fathers. Could it affect how people view relationships? Well, it
3: kind of strips away personal autonomy and identity. Um,
1: Mm
3: -hmm. It makes it so that the person is attached to the other person to where they are essentially, their identity is wrapped up in the man uh, rather than being individualized. And therefore, when they're considered or looked at, they're just deemed as being part of the other person, not themselves.
1: Isn't it kind of like ownership, like a symbol of being owned by someone else? And then once you leave that and you don't, you're no longer owned by someone else, you're just kind of out on your own?
0: Charity says, yep. I just want to point out that um, uh, for me, I mean, we were also taught like to to watch how men treat animals, because mm. sometimes that can be a gauge of like how men will treat women.
1: Mm. Were y'all ever taught anything like that? I remember being taught that in youth group.
2: Never anything about animals, but I've I always heard um, how a man uh, and or a guy treats his mother is how he'll treat a wife.
0: Okay. So, what about you, Seth?
3: I'm a little lost. This conversation keeps flowing and I'm, I'm <laughs> zigging and zagging as best as I can.
0: Look, we're nothing if we are not a lot. We told you this. I'm trying my hardest.
2: Were you, were you ever... ADHD.
0: Were, you, were you ever taught anything about how men treat animals...
3: Oh, that line. Yeah. So no, Um, I, um, in my faith tradition, men were not regarded in that way.
0: Okay.
3: Um, Men were essentially not, we were not compared to animals. Um, However, there was implications as to temptation Um, and that we had to essentially um, control the loss of the flesh. Mm. So there was a big uh, emphasis on the flesh um, in that regard. Does that make sense? I hope I answered that. Yes,
0: yes, that makes sense. What about, like, James was talking about, like, how how people treat their mothers, that was supposed to be a gauge of like what kind of a husband they would be, reach.
3: Yes, so that is definitely a thing.
0: Yeah, okay. Do you think that affects um, your ability to have relationships positively or negatively and why?
3: i think it affects in just which part what james said or what i said both um what i said i think it negatively impacts because we're essentially told that we can't control ourselves um and we're essentially told that we are nothing um but lustful like lustful uh, people that that are are at the will of the flesh um and therefore we um you know
0: uh, -hmm.
3: we're, we're nothing more than, than just lustful people. Um, and I think that that's demeaning, um, in regards to what James said, in regards to looking to your mother as a way to, um, kind of know how you treat your mother will kind of be an indication of how you will treat, um, a future spouse. Um, I think that, there's some application there. Okay. Does it hurt relationships?
0: I don't I don't know. Fair enough. I just wonder what you thought of it. But also I, I wondered if like the whole um, being taught like you're a lustful, sinful person and you can't control yourself and all of those things. Like, do you think it's dehumanizing people? Yes. Okay. So what should we teach people? What should we teach our children instead of that?
3: I think we should be teaching children personal autonomy and choice. Uh I think that we should be teaching personal value, integrity, and purpose. Um, I think that we should be teaching that um the individual has well i think i mean i think that kind of sums it up i mean personal autonomy and choice i mean like it's huge
0: yeah and i
3: think that what we see from even on this panel from what a lot of people have shared it's been pretty evident that those things were not present in our upbringings right from both the male and female perspective
0: which is why when carrie asked does denying teach it teach how to handle it no a culture of silence does not teach you how to handle it, it does not equip you to how to handle it. it doesn't even teach you how to be a parent and how to teach your own children so what Seth said is absolutely right but we are coming up on the top of the hour and I'd like to thank everybody for listening and commenting but if y'all want to go around and give me a little 30 second exit statement or you know ending statement you're welcome to starting with Jessica
1: This conversation has been interesting, (laughs) but I think one of the most important things is humanizing each other instead of looking at the opposite sex or the same sex as a sexual object. That's my takeaway.
0: Thank you. And do you have any messages for anybody who may have experienced the same things that you were talking about?
1: I think it's important to remember that there are other options and that you should explore things outside of what you've been taught. And I don't know that that's a big question but it is better on the other side.
2: Oh it is. Thank you. What about you James? Um, I wanted to add one last thing to um, what Seth was saying a minute ago, because he was saying, you know, teaching children about autonomy and everything. Um, one other thing I think is important to teach your children is about consent as well.
1: Oh, yes. Mm, yes. Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. And, and that that is very huge when it comes yeah. to relationships is having consent because you do it, – it, it, religion teaches you that even if you're married – you owe it to your partner to have relations whenever, wherever they want. If that partner doesn't want it, you do not. You are not owed it. Consent should be freely given and it can be taken away in just as quick of a time as well. So I just want to add that real quick.
0: And I just want to add in, consent can also be taken mid-intimate act.
2: Mm-hmm. Does not matter if
0: it's at the beginning, before, after, during, well, after is kind of pointless, but during, and even at the ending of it, like if your partner says no at any point in time, no means no, stop.
2: Yeah. So, sorry, I yeah. just wanted to add. Oh, that no, that's
0: there. a good one. Do you have any uh, words yeah. of advice, encouragement for anybody who may have experienced the same things as you?
2: Um, I would tell people to get introspective on themselves and ask themselves why they may be holding on to some of these ideas and what about it could benefit them or others. If it's not going to benefit your relationships with other people, you need to stop doing it. So you need to really search yourself and search for things outside of what your religion or background may have taught you, so that way you can learn different perspectives and grow as a person. When you start growing as a person, you'll help others around you grow as well, because then you're really looking at people for who they are and not just an object that you were taught that they were.
0: Thank you, James. And what about you, Seth?
3: Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me here. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Um, and what I have really enjoyed about this conversation, um, is just the openness of this dialogue, um, and the meaning of what we're talking about. Um, this is a very relevant topic that affects people both inside and outside the faith, um, of any kind of faith really, because it's prevalent within our culture and we see it across the board. Um, And I just think this is so important. And I want to say thank you for letting
0: letting me be here. Uh, Thank you. And do you have any words of advice or encouragement for people who may have experienced something similar to you?
3: You have worth and value. Um, And if there's anything I could have done differently it would have been that i i would have done a little more research and i would have really focused on who i was as a person instead of listening to all of the voices around me Um, and i think finding self-discovery and self-identity is extremely important within the confines of the religious practices that we often find ourselves in Um, oftentimes we're stifled Um, and we're put in positions where we are being told what to think and what to do. And I want you to know that you have a voice and you can have choice and that you matter and that you are worthy and know that, and know that you can step out of these practices to find your true self.
0: Thank you. I wanted to thank all of you for being here, Jessica. James, Seth, thank you so much for having this conversation because I really needed to have it. And I really needed to be able to talk about it openly. I appreciate the open dialogue. I also appreciate everybody that has been listening and commenting. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. But in conclusion, I'm just going to say it one more time. Men, women, people of all genders can be friends with the same and opposite sex without having it become a sexual or romantic relationship. Sometimes the the need for connection that we have as humans is the need for us to feel like we matter, to feel like we're a little less alone. And where that comes from can vary. It doesn't have to be a specific type of gender person it can be various people that you meet as you go about your day you can see the humanity in the people who are kind to each other you can watch it happening as you walk down the street you can also see it in nature you can see it everywhere you go when you are watching how people treat each other but you also deserve to feel connected to people you are enough and i appreciate you being here we really couldn't do this without you And I'd also like to add our wonderful ending, which is going to be, we would like to thank our Patreon subscribers for making sure that we can do this and continue doing this in 2024. This is produced and funded by the Misfit Amish. Please like, comment, share, subscribe. And until next time, y'all go forth, be curious, and learn more. Live your best lives be you.